ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 3M Open. I'm Sia Najad. I am with Joel. This is your standard 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time Tuesday Win Daily PGA live stream. That's a mouthful. I'm here with Joel. Joel, I have so many questions for you, and I'll tell the audience why, but how are you, buddy? Uh, like I said before, time heals all wounds. Every day, it's getting a little bit easier, a little bit better, but uh, I've, uh, I've, listen, I still won a lot of money this weekend, right? So it's hard to be down after still having a pretty big win, but mm-hmm. um, it's tough when you think you're a millionaire and then you're not anymore after a few seconds. Well, well <laughs> say no more because I have some questions, none that I've written down, just questions that I think any casual DFS player or gambler for that matter, better, would just kind of want to know. So, okay, for, for those of you that don't know, by the way, everybody's a lot of people already listening in. Let's say hello to some people. What is up, Charlie? We got S guys standard. We got these, we got so many guys in here. Uh, girls in here sometimes too. Uh, Yamazaki, who is part of the Wind Daily Sports family, a subscriber, just won $10,000 in LOL. She sometimes watches the show. I, I, need, I think we need to get more females into this community, both on like our end of it, Joel. And, and I know Joe Madden with Joe Madden Sports is doing some stuff with Wind Daily. Um, and we've done some other collaborations with females in this industry. But I just think on the subscriber side too, like you know, it's not like, you know, the, the the days of like females not liking sports and it's just like a male dominated thing from a viewing standpoint, it, it's gone. I mean, yeah, I think that needs to level out like a little bit more than it than it has. But I am uh, I'm really excited that we have some female subscribers and we have some, you know, female, you know, betting experts and things of that nature as a part of the family. But enough about that for now. So for those of you that don't know, uh, first of all, if you don't know, it means you're not subscribe to Win Daily Sports or you're not following them on Twitter or you're not following me or, or Joel. So you guys see our ads. I'm sure everybody that's listening probably follows us. But if you don't, this I've posted sort of what happened. I posted it Sunday after the open and, and I posted it just about an hour ago. What happened was, and Joel, I, you know, I'm going to ask you questions, but let me just set this up and then you can tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. If I've mischaracterized anything. Uh, Joel was in the Mega Millionaire contest on DraftKings. And as of Sunday morning, keep in mind the open, it's on the other side of the pond. So it ended probably around four o'clock. So Sunday morning, he's looking at his lineup and he's in first place for a million dollars. And as things progress, he's kind of banking on John Rahm. Correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't have Colin Morikawa in your lineup, did you, Joel? Okay. So he's banking on John Rahm. Good news for Joel. John Rahm goes on a vicious birdie streak. John Rahm turns into John Rahm. He's not the John Rahm of Thursday at the Open. He's John Rahm of every other day at the Open. And so he goes on a birdie streak. In fact, I think he made four birdies in a row. And if you looked at what was going on on DraftKings and the lead that Joel had and the million dollars that he had, he was in the lead by five or six points as far as my observation went. And it looked like down the stretch that there was no way that Joel could be caught no matter what Colin Morikawa did. However, what ended up happening, and this I think could happen to anybody, is that Joel did not account for an all four rounds under 70 bonus, which honestly at the open, you wouldn't even think that is a thing for anybody, but the open kind of played like a birdie fest for, for times at times. And so that what you know, Joel didn't account for that. And we had Isaiah in our sort of win daily group chat. And Joel really wasn't celebrating at all because he's humble and he kind of figured everybody knew he was going to win a million dollars. And so Isaiah pipes into our chat and he says, 
Joel, I'm really sorry. Second place. That's still not bad. It's a hundred thousand dollars, but man, that sucks. You, you barely lost. And Joel says, I won exclamation point. And Isaiah says, Joel, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but you're not factoring in Morikawa's all four rounds under 40, under 70 bonus, which is worth five points. Therefore, instead of Joel winning by a half a point, he loses by four and a half points because that's applied at the end, of course. And 1 million becomes 100,000. Joel, did I mischaracterize anything as far as that sort of uh, itinerary, if you will, went? So, so that's, that was very accurate. That is, that is very much so how it went down. Uh, I can add a little more color to it, if you would like. Please um, do. So the Mega Millionaire, right, it's not that big of a tournament, right? So there wasn't like, you know, there's 100 lineups in contention. So when, when Sunday morning came, and, I, and I'm looking at kind of the leaderboard, I think I was in fifth heading into to Sunday. Um, but there was probably seven or eight people who realistically could have won the tournament. So I'm looking, I'm like, listen, one of the seven or eight of us is going to be a millionaire, which was pretty. I was like, I want a seven or eight chance of being a millionaire. This is going to be a great day. And so I'm telling my wife this, and I'm like, listen, it's still one of seven or eight, which is not like a likely scenario, but it's as close as we've ever been to getting to a million. So I'm like, Getting her a little involved, I'm pretty excited, and she had an event to go to in the morning. So um, the start, the day starts out early for me, for my guys, terribly bogeys, bogeys, and I go from fifth down to like fiftieth quick. And so then, as she's leaving, I'm kind of like, "It's not looking good. Don't worry about it. Enjoy your day. We're not going to win mm-hmm. the million." And so if you watch it, right, you want to talk about the sweat and how things go. So I didn't actually look at this, but um, I would assume there was maybe around fifteen total eagles the whole weekend, maybe less. Within about 30-minute period, Rom Eagles, Bur- uh, uh, Spieth Eagles, and then like 30 minutes later, Burger Eagles. I have all That's three sad. in my lineup. So I went from mm-hmm. 50th all the way up to third in like that. And all of a sudden, I was out of it, and then I'm right back in it because I get three Eagles. So now the sweat's electric. I, I can't sit down. I'm pacing around my apartment. I am mm-hmm. so excited. And I'm like, I got a real shot at this. I, got a, I might be texting like the rest of the golf writers, and I'm like, guys, a couple more bodies birdies from Ram, and I'm going to be a millionaire. A couple more birdies from Ram, and I'm going to be a millionaire. Then all of a sudden, Ram goes on the streak of four birdies in a row, and I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm in first place. And, like, we're not talking about Saturday. I'm talking about, like, four holes to go, and mm-hmm. I got a pretty big lead for the millionaire. So I'm like, this isn't, like, speculating anymore. I'm like, I'm going to win a million dollars. And so then that's where it kind of gets to where, where Sia was, where now I'm doing the math. And I think it got to, like, this – Morikawa just finished the 16th hole. And I'm like, he would have to eagle one of these holes for me to lose, which he's not going to eagle a two-par four. He's not going to chip it in. I'm like, it's not going to happen. I'm going to win a million dollars. No matter what happens, even if he birdied out, I still would have won. He had to eagle. He wasn't going to do it. Like, I'm going to win a million. So there's two holes where I was mentally convinced I was a millionaire. I called my mom. I called my friends. I'm like, we did it. A million And you know what? Luckily, luckily, Isaiah did give me – it was a little bit less of the band-aid rip. I didn't just see the score change and be like, what happened? So mm-hmm. I did have a little bit of an insight uh, at the very end of like, hey, this might actually might not be. So it wasn't quite as bad, but um, it was pretty – I was telling my friends, it's probably the most disappointing way to win $100,000 possible because I was truly convinced I was a millionaire. Oh, it's for sure the most – I mean, <laughs> there's, there's no way, other way to capture this other than to say – you lost $900,000. And I understand what people want you to say, right? Or what people expect you to say at this point, you know, two or three days removed from it. They expect you to say, well, 
you know, I gave it my best shot. I won $100,000. That's a ton. And, you know, I'm moving on to the next tournament. But like, let's be honest about like, if you actually, th and, and by the way, this, and not to make this about me, but like, this is part of the reason when I'm really in contention, like I don't, you know, I don't play that tournament, but when I'm in contention in like a big single entry, I, and people think I'm lying. I genuinely on Sunday afternoon, do not look at my DraftKings score or where I am. First place, second place, 10th place. When I know I'm in the top 20 and I have a shot at like 10,000, uh, which I won at the, the Masters, not the last one, but the one before that. When I have shots at stuff like that, I just don't look until the tournament's over. And by the way, not right when the tournament's over. I'll wait a couple minutes because I want to make sure those bonuses are applied. <laughs> but I got to ask you, so before we get into the 3M Open, and, and just so you know, Joel and I decided we're going to go a little quicker through the 3M Open field, So, which I think the listeners might like, actually. So maybe a little less analytics than we normally give you, but we'll kind of speed through it. We'll still spend like 30, 40 minutes on the 3M, on our players, on our first round leaders. We have a birthday narrative with the first round leader and, and our outright pick. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about that at the end of the show. So I want to spend, before we get to the 3M Open at TPC Twin Cities, just a little bit more time on this, because let's be real about this. Everybody's dream when they are playing DraftKings is to hit a million dollars. And for the record, and we we at Wind Daily Sports preach this all the time, that dream is almost never a reality, right? And which is why we always preach bankroll management. Nick does, like everybody, Jason, everybody at, at Wind Daily Sports is really big on bankroll management. We even have articles up there for the subscribers and frankly, for ourselves to, to keep us in check as well, where we're dedicating, you know, 50% of our bankroll each week to cash games, you know, 40% to single entry and three max, and then maybe 10% to the, you know, the, the, the random, you know, one or two off, entries to like a big ticket millionaire. Now you were in kind of a higher level, um, you know, mega millionaire. And that's because you win all the time. I mean, you just won a hundred thousand or 30,000 a few weeks ago. You've had just since we've been doing this show together, which has been about a year, um, you've had somewhere between, I think four and six, $100,000 hits. So it's interesting. Your perspective is interesting because I think some people might think, well, this guy wins so much, probably not a big, probably not as big a deal to Joel as it might be to just the casual DFS player. But I don't think that's true when you're talking about a $900,000 dip. So my first question, Joel, is what was that feeling like the moment that you had thought you won a million dollars and you were pretty damn sure going into hole 17? Like what What was, I, I want to know, I know you called your parent, your mom and all that, but what, what were you actually feeling? It's funny. I've been telling my my friends and stuff. I, I I actually know what it's like, what it feels like to win a million dollars. Unfortunately, I don't know what it's like to have a million dollars, but I do know what it feels like to actually win it. Uh, it was. I gotta say, I normally like, and you guys know me. You see me on the show. You guys, at this point, if you guys watch the show, you kind of know my personality. I try to never get too high or too low. Bad weeks, I'm, I don't get too down. Great weeks, I try not to get too high. Um, I was pretty high. I was, it was, I kind of got out of my own shell and I was kind of like, I think I actually did it. Like, cause you're right to you. This is what like the dream is that one day you'll hit for a million dollars. And you know, it, it does, it feels like a dream. It doesn't feel that realistic that you could ever do it. And I was at a point where I was like, it's happening. And it wasn't even that morning when I said there were seven or eight people that had a chance, I still was kind of like seven or eight, still a good chance. I don't win it. Like, it's really mm -hmm. not that realistic. Um, and when it actually was like, listen, I'm doing the math and it's going to be hard for me to lose this. And it was an, it was another, it was kind of weird too, because I was home alone. 
my baby was sleeping, so I couldn't scream too loud. It was just mm -hmm. me and the baby. Um, and so, you know, at one point, like I try not to bring too many people in because things like this happen and I don't want to start, you know, oh, I was winning, but then it's hard. I try not to, but I was alone. I was so excited. I just started calling friends. I was like, I think this is happening. I think this is happening. I was pretty high. I even like ordered, I hadn't eaten all day. I'd ordered lunch. I couldn't even touch my food just from like sheer excitement. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I will say it was like like my mom, my parents, a lot of people who aren't in the DFS world couldn't wrap their head around my my like depression because they were like, "You just want a hundred thousand dollars? You sound like you got ran over by a car." And I was like, right. "I I'm trying to explain to you. I I truly was a millionaire minutes ago, and now I'm not. And while it's, I'm not complaining, I'm so happy that I won. That I'm not trying to overlay again. It's great to have a hundred thousand. But there is, it does feel like it was taken from me. And that, I would say this, this one hurt a lot more than the ROM job, which technically was kind of a worse way to lose, but yeah, it, it just hurts more because of, of the number. And for those of you that don't know what he's talking about, I think Joel's first big win was, I believe, instead of 250000 I think it was for 50000 because John Rahm was assessed a two-stroke penalty. This is in 2020, right when uh, we were coming back from COVID. The two-stroke penalty actually dipped Joel. Uh, he it was on the 16th hole, so the tournament was almost over. It dipped Joel from $250,000 to 50000 Is that correct, Joel? That is correct, but the, the penalty wasn't assessed until after the tournament. So exactly. It, so it was the tournament ended. I still won, and then after the tournament, the penalty was assessed. And John Rom still won. So the only person in the world that it affected was anybody who had John Rom and who was potentially winning two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which you were. So it's it's funny. I guess if you play DFS long enough, you know maybe these things happen to you. But the fact that that happened all within. Let, let me ask you this. So so before we leave this this subject, and by the way, congratulations. It's awesome that you won one hundred thousand dollars. It's uh, again, I'm not even sure. I've lost count, but. I, and I, I don't need you to tell me all the money you've won in the last, you know, eight to 12 months, but this has got to be like, what is it? Your fifth or sixth, six figure win? No, so no, no, no. Well, I know it seems like I win that much. It's not at all. It's only my third six figure win. Gotcha. Um, I do have a lot more 50K wins. So the 50K gotcha. wins, because as we all know, I am like the showdown is my thing. And so the showdown mm -hmm. tournaments are typically only 50K max. So I do have a lot more 50K wins, but I only have three six figure wins. Okay, so three of those and probably like five to seven 50K wins. And I know you have a 30K win recently. So, and that's just, correct me if I'm wrong, like I'm not trying to like, you know, cut this and send it to the IRS, but but this is all within 12 months, right? No, a little bit longer, but maybe 18 months, I would say. Gotcha, year and a half, okay. Uh, Joel, it's really impressive. I, I, let, let me just ask you a couple follow-up questions. When you realize that, okay, it wasn't going to be a million dollars, it was going to be 100,000, now that that feeling, that kind of sick to the stomach, you know, feeling that you must have had. You, let's let's fast forward it to today. Like, when did that wear off? It, it, I mean, obviously, it hasn't completely worn off. But when did you kind of like just kind of turn the page? Because I know you're super even keel. It wouldn't have taken you quite as long as it might have taken me. So, at what point were you like, all right, I want hundred thousand dollars, whatever. I'm really good at this. Like, there's probably more wins in my future. So, um, my wife is really been like the only person that i'm talking to about it because you know she's the one in the home with me and well she, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just didn't care she was just like listen you won what's like i don't get it and i was like it and so the fact that i haven't been really getting any reciprocated conversation about it uh makes made it kind of wear off probably a little quicker mm -hmm. um i did take i did go out with one of my friends sunday night just like go out for a walk ball some steam and um 
he was kind of talking me out of it. He was like, "Listen, uh, you won." He goes, "But listen, he got he got." It. He's like, "I I can't imagine what you're going through." Honestly, he's like, "That's that's a tough." Break. I needed to, I needed somebody just to to kind of level with me for a minute. That I was like, "Can someone understand the pain I'm going through?" But um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I'm over it. It's uh, I, you know, I think the biggest disappointment more than anything is not only that that it happened, but we're not going to have another shot at it for almost what mm-hmm. eight months nine months there's, there's not another major and there's not gonna be another million dollar tournament so right not in pga at least so we're, yeah. we'll, we'll turn our attention to the nfl which uh wind daily sports does a really good job with in terms of winning and, and whatnot and you know I'm, I'm sure i had i'm sure i had one other question i was just it was just on my mind so i'll have to think of it later but again joel congratulations i, I mean it, i had to like I had to like bring this out because it's such a rare situation for somebody in DraftKings particularly to like, you know, feel like they've won something, not won something, but really actually they won a ton. Like it's just such an interesting psychological sort of experiment for me to kind of like talk you through that. So thanks for indulging me at your own expense. Uh, I just, I find it interesting. Oh, here's the, here's the question. Do you remember what your lineup was? I do. Yes. Well, tell, tell, tell us the six names. It was Rom. So I'll kind of go through it and I'll go through my thought process as well. Yeah, please. So at the top, it was Rom and Spieth. And my thought process for the week where they were the top two guys, I was way overweight on Rom and Spieth in every line, in all of my builds, whether it was, you know, the smaller millionaire, small tournaments, whatever I was playing, I was Rom and Spieth were, were the two guys I was going So with. So let me stop you because I, I, I think everybody agreed. We talked about it on the show that Spieth was an incredible value at 9,700 on DraftKings for the Open. Now, Rom was obviously playing the best in the world, but not necessarily a good value. So what made you go overweight on him? Just just the sheer idea that he had more win equity than anybody else? I thought he was playing the best off in the world, and especially in this tournament where it was, you know, um, uh, not as not thousands of people, right? It was a big tournament with only, it was a big entry tournament with a smaller number of people in it. I thought he was safe to be a top 10 and really well. I thought, you know, at the end of the day with this tournament, it was, I mean, obviously I was going for the million, but what was also bad in the back of my head is just cashing is huge, right? Because it's a, it's a big entry. So just getting in the money. And I figured he was safe enough that he was going to compete. So that had a lot of it too. Uh, obviously hindsight 2020, if he won the tournament, I probably would be a millionaire, but uh, I knew that I would have a, a call for competing at a ROM. So I, in a high-entry tournament, that was part of my thought process. Okay, fair enough. So you you went through, obviously, ROM and Spieth. I think everybody kind of agrees with those two. What what else did you – what was the other So four? then from there, you'll notice, and, and I think it's good to touch on, on this show, the major pr- – the pricing in major events is a little softer often than you'll get at the 3M Open and things like that. So there is more value to be found at some of these events. For example, Daniel Berger at, what was he, 7,400, right? He was 7,400. Remember, like Berger is often 8,800, maybe 9K. Mm -hmm. And so getting him down that low, he wasn't coming in in the best form. I mean, I think he was like a mediocre finish to tournament before in a really weak field where he was the heavy favorite. But I knew that I wanted to round out my lineup with guys who were just underpriced. I wasn't worrying about form. It was a major. I just wanted the top-tier guys, six of the top-tier guys. And so mm-hmm. I knew Berger was a top-tier guy at a price that I could afford with Ramen Spieth. And the same kind of thought process went with Kokrak, right? You know I'm a Kokrak guy. I, I, I like to go back to Kokrak. But at his price, I mean, just look at his, his year. He's got how many top-10 finishes. Uh, and at 7,100, I just felt like that was a mispricing. So – those mm-hmm. are two guys that I thought could have been priced way higher, so I wanted to jam them in my, in there. Um, 
I was all over uh, Brian Harmon, and I've been I've been screaming Brian Harmon for a few weeks. So mm-hmm. Brian Harmon was another one at seventy one hundred that you know I I, I kind of had a feeling people would be off of because he missed the cut the week before, and uh, and he one thing to notice when people miss the cut and you're worried about them, one thing I look at is how much they missed the cut by. Right? Did he implode and play terrible golf? And maybe I don't want to get as good, but Harmon missed the cut by like a stroke. He, he didn't yep. play poorly. And I said last week, Harmon plays better, which we thought this would be a tougher course. So I figured this would be a course he would manage well and kind of stay above above water, which he did. And the last, yeah, and, and just to just to touch up on that, so if you recall from last week's show, I think we talked about Brian Harmon a little bit, but also Kevin Streelman in terms of like potential bounce back candidates. And for the Windy Sports subscribers, my record for the secret weapon is now forty and twelve. And again, for those of you listening, that is a player under seven K and under five percent owned. And my guy was Kevin Streelman. I think you could have put Streelman and Harmon in the same bucket. They were both playing really well. They both barely missed the cut the week before. And they, from a course fit standpoint, they seemed to be really good course fits. And so it, kind of the lesson there is, you know, don't let one bad tournament all of a sudden give you a bad impression of a goal, especially a guy like Brian Harmon, who really has been pretty rock solid all year. So I get that completely. And I we, we and we'll say this on the show. We almost look the opposite way. I'm almost happy that Brian Harmon missed the cut the week before because that took people off of him and that enabled me to not feel hesitant to go after him at like a sub 5% ownership, which for him is, is so low. So that was like a good thing for me, right? Cause now I got him, you know, and I was unique in having him. Uh, but one of the fun picks, the last one was Harris English. And the one that reason that's fun was because he snuck into the cut. And if he misses the cut, this whole thing, we never get to this millionaire hundred thousand right. never ever happened. So it was, a sweat like no other for him, but we birdied 18 to just make the cut on the number to get me into the weekend to give me a chance. Well, well, actually, the birdie on 18 got him one under the number. So if you recall, we, we were sweating, you know, all the, kind of the whole community, I, I think, was at least 20% of, of lineups, I think, had English. A lot of them had Berger as well. And English actually eagled a hole down the stretch of the back nine. And then he needed like one or two more birdies. He got them. And then he went ahead and birdied 18. To like Because if he had bogeyed that hole, he would have been out. But par would have been okay. Either way, he went on a complete rampage. He probably had the, the best nine of anybody in that entire tournament on Friday afternoon. And it's funny how things work, right? I mean, that got you to a place where you were going to win either 100000 or $1 million. And, and it was – it was funny because I remember it happening because, you know, obviously, you know, I've played some other tournaments as well, but this was a pretty big six tournament. So this is the one I'm following all weekend. This is the one that I'm like, I, because like I said before, if I just cash, right, I'm going to have a good weekend because this is just getting in the money is going to make whatever I did that week be worth, be worth mm-hmm. it. So not getting six out of six is almost pretty close to a lock of cashing because not that many people are going to get six out of six. So I'm sweating English. Just please give me the six out of six. Please. Mm-hmm. And he getting hot and, I was celebrating Friday on this lineup, just getting my six out of six. I'm like, I did it. I got a shot. I'm alive. And at that point, I have no thought of winning a million dollars. At that point, I'm just like, I can cash. And I should have a profitable mm-hmm. weekend. And that's all I'm thinking about. And then it, things really picked up on Sunday. And I think the moral of the story, and I understand this tournament was a little bit smaller uh, than like, you know, your big Millie makers or whatever, or your normal Millie makers. But we should all be playing some smaller tournaments too, whether they're cash or single entry. And, and the lesson here is it's kind of pretty easy when you look at Joel's lineup. He went with the best golfer in the world in John Rahm. He went with three extreme value plays in Jordan Spieth, Daniel Berger, and Harris English. I mean, you just can't argue. Those were extreme value, all three of those. And then to round out his lineup, he took Brian Harmon and Jason Kokrak, who have been kind of 
on fire this entire year, with, with the exception of one or two tournaments here and there in, in, a, in, a, in a basically an eleven month season. So the moral of the story is like, don't overthink it. Sometimes you know you, you got your top flight player, you got three values, including a top flight player in Jordan Spieth, and then you got two guys that have been hot all year for the most part and are great ball strikers. And boom. Here you are contending for a million dollars. And if you're not in that big tournament, okay, well, you're probably contending for five or ten thousand dollars, depending on the tournament, the lower stakes tournament. So it's I'll add, it, I'll, I'll add to that. The, the, keep in mind, I didn't have Morikawa. I almost won a million dollars with inches. And like I could have won that tournament without Morikawa if Rom Rom had a makeable eagle putt on what was it, 15 or something that he yep. missed. If he made that putt, I would have won a million dollars. So the point is, you can even win these smaller tournaments without the winner if you pick a good six, right? The, and and what, I, what I would stress more than anything is DFS is not about picking the winner of the tournament. It's about picking six good golfers. Mm-hmm. Because if you have if you have a high floor in DFS, you're going to win money. If you if you pick the winner and, you know, go and throw some random Hail Mary at the bottom of your line, that's going to mess everything up. Make sure you focus on getting your six guys that can compete. That's what's important in DFS. It's different than just betting. Uh, normally, which is a nice transition to uh, the 3M Open because I think you should be avoiding the 6K range altogether. This is probably the first time, and I'm I'm gonna have to pick a secret weapon because that's what I do. But this is the first time where, like, when I wrote up my initial picks article, it's literally the first time I think I ne- I didn't include a 6K guy because I Joel I think you can have a really balanced build here, and, and you can go that route with kind of a safe balanced build, and you can even take some top flight guys and then just kind of go down to the 7, 8K range. But we can get to that once we get to the lower ranges. And we're going to go through the 3M Open now. But for those of you that missed the front end of this interview, um, and some of you might have because I forgot to retweet it immediately. It took me until the interview was basically over. I call it an interview, the front part of the show, uh, to, to think to retweet it. But please go back and listen to that. I, I just think it's worth I just think it's worth the time. Like, it, you know, in the DFS community, we're always talking about wins and losses and uh you know winning money and losing money and that's that's all well and good that's what df is that's what it is but at the same time like there is a psychological component that we all go through i mean you know it's funny on a really small level so i was in the 200 se one of the two and uh i had five out of six make the cut and i was in the money the entire time and literally on the 17th hole on Sunday, I just fell out of the money because Louis Ustazen was just that bad. And my five out of six couldn't couldn't carry it because, you know, most of the six out of six is cashed. So I went from being up 400 in that tournament to, to zero. And I'm like, man, that sucks. I'm like, you know, for, I don't care like how much you play every week. 400 is a lot of money to, every, to anybody. But what was funny, Joel, is that when I had that thought, I was like, well, I just lost $400, but... Joel just went down from a million to a hundred. And I hate to rub it in, but it's like, it's all about perspective and it's all relative. Like I can lose $400 and potentially feel like the same way you did, but it's not, it's not justified that I feel that way, but that's how people feel when they win and lose in DFS. And I, I think it's such an interesting case study to have you kind of go through those range of emotions. So if you didn't hear the front end of this show, we're 27 minutes deep. I, I genuinely think you should go back and listen for the, for the first 27 minutes, and then we'll cover the 3M Open after that. And I'll add, before we wrap up on this, and, and I think you made a good point on that, I find for myself, and I don't know if other people are similar, but I find for myself the lows are always way worse than the highs. I just, I, I won a million dollars this weekend, right? And I've been more pissed off about a loss in the past than I was as high as I was winning a million dollars on Sunday. It's the lows. So, like, that's where it goes back to see. I said, 
bankroll management, you know, stay within yourself because you're going to be torn apart when you lose way more than you want to lose. And you'll be happy when you win, but you're not going to be as upset as you will be when you, when you lose a lot of money. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. You have to try to keep an even keel because there's always next week and golf is frustrating. It just is, you know, you can have two of your six guys be out because they had bad Thursdays. And then you're like, oh, I guess I'll play showdown. It's just like all that anticipation from Monday forward, looking at pricing, reading wind daily sports articles or whatever outlet you, you choose to review. And then like listening to podcasts and all of a sudden some guys plus four through seven holes on Thursday morning, you're like, okay, well, this isn't very fun. Okay, so here we are. It's the 3M Open. We're at TPC Twin Cities, uh, par 71, between 7,400 and 7,500 yards, uh, bent grass greens. I don't think, again, we're going to kind of cruise through this a little faster than we normally do because of what happened on the front end of the show, but I don't think we need to talk about you know course dynamics too much. I know I'm going to be focused on ball striking. It's a pretty simple layout, a pretty simple course. There's some water hazards here. Well, there's plenty of water hazards, but I think it's a pretty easy course to navigate approach is going to be a main focal point to me relative to off the tee. I'm not going to be looking at around the green too much. Uh, the greens are big. I expect them to be a little fast, certainly faster than last week at the open. So I think that is kind of a bump down to the bad putters. Whereas I don't know if you recall, Joel, last week I was playing some of the bad putters because I thought the slow greens would actually end up helping them. And that ended up bearing out. So Joel, anything else to add? Again, approach. It's an approach course. You'll see a few more shots from 175 to 200. Don't wait that too much, but it's just something to know. Off the tee is important, not critical. And, uh, you know, if you if you have a good putter, that's a bonus, but you'll see a lot of these guys that are good ball strikers aren't good putters. So you're going to have to make a decision. Yeah, I think um, the only thing I'll add is that the, the tournament's only been played here twice, so there's not too much history to go off of. And it was two kind of varying uh, results in that you know, well, Michael Thompson won the first time, and he's not known to be a top guy. You know, he's a you know middling golfer that you know won this tournament. But in the next year, a Wolf won when he was playing really well. He was a top golfer at the time he won, and the runners up were like Bryson. It was all the top names. So we've seen two things: we saw all the top guys rise, and then we've seen a no-name guy win this tournament. So in terms of history, I don't think there's much for us to go off of. I think we want to stick to our basics. We want to go for ball strikers. We want to find um, approach. And the one other unique thing I'm looking at for this tournament is it seems as though um, around the green game is neutralized and maybe it won't be as important as normal. So if there are guys that are really bad around the green but are stronger in other areas, that, that might be a guy to target this week. 100%, especially because the greens are so big. If you're missing the greens and you're having to rely on the around the green game on this particular course – you're probably not in really good shape because you should be sticking it not necessarily super close to the hole on approach, but it, you shouldn't, you should be pulling out your putter, uh, you know, after your approach shot. That's, and if you're not, you're probably not in good shape regardless. So, um, and, and by the way, that's a good, that's a good point about Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson's a relatively short hitter and not relatively, he's a short hitter, period. And Bryson and Wolf are really long hitters. So like you can be short, you can be long, you can be a superstar, you can be kind of a middle of the road guy and, and you're going to be, potentially contending in this tournament um let's talk about the 10k range joel so we've got we've got what four guys here dustin johnson louis tony finau patrick reed are you on any of these guys so i am i i think that what we're seeing here and i think um there's a adjustment i think these guys could all be priced another thousand dollars more because they're just uh, that much better than the rest of the field. I think there's a big drop-off after this top tier. So these guys, I'm going to be mixing, matching, getting in. I'm confused as to why Louis is playing this tournament. It feels like he's been on a stretch of majors and doing all this. It just doesn't feel like 
a place for Louis, but uh, the way he's playing, it's hard to fade him, right? I mean, he other than Sunday, he's he's been unreal, super consistent. I actually like my pick to win. I know it's not all that, you know, different, but it's DJ. I think DJ is finding something. He competed last week, and I think in a world downfield where he doesn't have the Morikawas, the Roms, the Speeds to go against, I think he can go low. Uh, and I think a, a, an easier course like this should play will help him a lot, especially as his form is starting to come back to the DJ of old. So um, DJ's my pick to win as of right now. I like Louie. Um, I like Fino and Reed too. Like them less. My two favorites are going to be DJ and Louie. And then, you know, for guys that want to get um, who still like the top, you know, Fino, I'm, I'm totally open to, but uh, he just, it's paying a lot, but I certainly think he could win this tournament. And I feel the same with, with Reed. Um, but you know, you just got to make a choice. So my, if I have to just choose, I'm going to choose DJ and Louis. Yeah. I like DJ and Louis as well. I got a feeling about Tony Fina. And by the way, I, I agree with everything you said about DJ. Not only was he eighth last week at the open, but, and I know it's DJ, so he should be top tenning everything, but you know, he frankly just hasn't been very good lately, but the last four tournaments, 10th, 19th, 25th, and then eight at the open. So the trajectory is there. Like is Dustin Johnson back? Obviously not, but if he won this tournament coming up, we would, we would all say he's back because not only did he win this tournament, but eighth at the open 25th at the travelers, you know, 19th at the U S open. So like the trajectory is there for a superstar like DJ to just show up and just like kill the field here. Do I love it? Do I, am I going to be super excited about playing DJ? Not really, but does he have the potential to walk away with this? Yeah, I, I think he does. Um, Tony Finau is interesting. Now, Joel, you, you were on Tony last week. And I almost like I borderline like made fun of you. I, I think my words were I like Tony Danza from Who's the Boss better than I, li- I like Tony Soprano better than I like Tony Finau. But he kind of shut me up pretty good because he showed up and he finished 15th. And it, this feels like a good course for him. Uh, I mean, if you had to rate Louis versus Tony, everything considered narratives, Louis traveling, you know, all of that. Like, who do you like better between those two? My pl- it's a coin flip. I think they're. They're both head and shoulders better than the rest of the field. So it's just a matter – I always say I find it hard harder to pick the top tiers than I do below because at this point you're asking me to pick between the best golfers. Or we, they're both great. So mm-hmm. who's going to play better one week? It, you know, I think they're both really good. My pick of the two right now, probably Louie, but not by a lot. It's, a, it's by a slight margin just because I've seen Louie. Louis hasn't missed, right? Even when he hasn't won, he's top 20 everything for the last two months. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've seen both – sides of, of Tony where Tony can give it up 20, but we've seen Tony miss cuts, which, you know, there's a little bit more risk there. And the interesting thing to me, and I, I wonder if you're seeing the same thing. It looks like Louis is actually coming in at significantly less ownership than, than Tony. He is. He is. And I think it's because people think it's a letdown spot for him, but I don't really think that applies to a guy like Louis. I think he's speaking of even keel. I think he's just the type of guy that just goes through the motion, so to speak, every single tournament. I don't think he's really worried about what happened over uh, at the British Open or at the Open Championship. So, yeah, I mean, if we're looking at ownership, I mean, it definitely looks like DJ and Tony Finau are going to be very popular and that Louis and Patrick Reed are going to be probably around 10% less than those two guys. We got a question here, and, and I think, Joel, you might have answered it. Yeah, you can fade the elite range, Ivan, if you want to. But I think what Joel is saying is because of the pricing, you can also go ahead and – like, I know for me – I'm going to be fading the elite range more often than I'm going to be taking a guy. But I think Joel's strategy is is pretty good too because the difference between that elite crust and everybody else is pretty stark. I mean, like if you just talk about like DJ alone and maybe Louie, 
Like the difference between those two guys and guys like Sergio, who's a great ball striker that can't put Matthew Wolf, where you, you don't know where he is. Cameron Tringali. I mean, these guys are just like a thousand to fifteen hundred less. They're in the second tier. So I think it might make sense to have two different types of lineups. One maybe stars in scrubbish and one kind of balanced. And I'll add to that. I say this before when we get tournaments like this. I've mentioned this before. I, I, I always subscribe to when we have these tournaments where there's a few stars and then it's kind of like the rest of the guys that they have to make. They have to make prices. So these guys that we're getting in the 9 and 8K range, are they just have to kind of pick because there's mm-hmm. not a big difference between them and the guys that you get in the low 8K and 7K range because these guys would all be in the similar price range if it was a major. But it's not a major. All the other names are out of it, and they got to even out the price field. So from that perspective, my goal is I'm going to play my DJs, I'm going to play my Louis, and then I'm going to find the value of those guys that I thought could have just been priced the same as your Sergios and things like that that are just down lower. Right. And so let's go to the 9K range. I uh, I included two of these guys in my initial picks article. And frankly, I'm not necessarily in love with either of them, but you know, this field is what it is. So there, there are two guys that I like, um, but let, let's read it off for those of you that are listening on the podcast. Sergio Garcia kicks it off at 9,900. Then we have Matthew Wolf, Cameron Tringale, Emiliano Grillo, Cam Davis, Bubba Watson. And it's rounded out by Bobby Mack, otherwise known as Robert McIntyre. Joel, who do you like here? So for me, I'm not because I'm going to be so heavy in the top range. I'm going to be pretty light in this range. Um, the two guys I like that I'll, if I'll have any shares of that'll probably be Grio the most, and then Tringali number two. But other than that, I'm probably not going to be too heavy in this range. Fair enough. Any opinion on Bubba Watson, who who the last couple of tournaments has really been striking the ball a lot better? Bubba's been playing well. Um, Bubba is not someone I'm going to be playing. I don't think, even though he has been playing better. Um, I don't think he deserves still yet to be priced this high. And so, therefore, I think there's other guys that I found value just as much, if not better than Bubba, lower that I'd rather play. And finally, I, I do got to bring this guy up because word on the street is, you know, he didn't play at the Open, but probably could have. And, uh, I mean, in terms of he, he, was, he was in the right form to play at the Open. And apparently he's been, he's been practicing and striking the ball pretty well. His name is Matthew Wolf. Um, if I'm making 10 lineups – does one of them have Matthew Wolf? And I hate to give you like a question where you're going to say yes because it's a nice like hedge option. You know what? What if you're making five lineups? Does one of them have Matthew Wolf or no? So here's going to be my final stance on Wolf. I, I can see it. He's only a GPP play. Do not play him in a smaller tournament or cash. I think I think he's only a GPP play. And the second is let's wait and see what the final ownership number is. If he's looking to be over 15%, then no. It's I don't want to play a chalky Matthew Wolf. If he does get you to lower, closer to 10%, then, yeah, I think I can get him to one. Gotcha. It does look like for now, and again, everybody at windailysports.com, you get Steven's article, the ownership article, which is extremely precise. We'll have that tomorrow um, early evening as usual. It looks like now he's he's actually getting more ownership than I would have thought. So we'll see. We'll see how high that gets. But uh, I think it's a good point about Matthew Wolf. If he's popular, I am 100% out. He has to be low-owned for me to play him. Uh, the 8K range, Joel, we've got uh, – I'll read these guys off because there's really not that many. I'll start at the top with uh, Ricky Fowler, Michael Brazil's grandmother's favorite player. Um, <laughs> Keegan Bradley, Stuart Sink, uh, Patton Kazaya, Lucas Herbert, Mav McNeely, Fratelli, Schwartzel, Luke List, and Gary Woodland. A few guys I like here. You know what? I'll start. I don't know what to say about Ricky. I, you know, I haven't been on him all year, and I haven't really regretted it. The game does seem to be turning around a little bit. 53rd at the Open last week didn't really speak to me. Rocket Morgie was 32nd. We saw him at the Memorial. He was 11th. 
you know, these these are all kind of like not bad. I don't know if I want to pay 8,900 for Ricky though. Keegan, I'm always on. The putter really worries me with Keegan Bradley and, and I don't necessarily just want to lean on the idea of, well, he can find a hot putter because lately it's just been that bad. So I don't think I'm going to be on him. Feel free to convince me on that one. I like Stuart Sink. I think he's a great course fit. I think he's normally really good off the tee. He's been okay lately, but he's normally really good off the tee. That length will benefit him here for sure. And his approach game has been really, really good. He's also a veteran. I think he's going to be – the putting I think is going to be fine. You know, if, if he's average with the putter, he should be just fine in terms of scoring on this course. And then I'll give you two other names that I like. Actually, three. Mav McNeely. It's going to be a birdie fest, and Mav McNeely is certainly a birdie maker. Uh, Charles Schwartzel on approach. He has been really, really good. Actually, on off the tee as well. His ball striking has been really good. His putter is often really bad. But again, veteran presence here. I, I just I kind of like uh, uh, like a veteran Charles Schwartzel who's really striking the ball well to just show up at a, at a tournament like this. And Luke List has kind of been on fire too. So I think Luke List is is also a course fit. I think the length will benefit him that he has, and he's been striking the ball really well. So in this range, it's Stuart Sink, it's Matt McNeely, it's Charles Schwartzel, and it's Luke List. Those are my favorites. First question, Joel, is do you like any of those guys? And if not, who do you like in the 8K range? I do like a few of them. Uh, I actually like this range just overall. Like if we were to make a bet, what range would will do better? I like this range better than the 9K range, just generally. I think it's just mm-hmm. better golfers in it. So um, there's four guys that I'm targeting here in this range. I'll start with, with Ricky. I think Ricky is coming along. I think Ricky's playing a lot better. And I think it's going to help Ricky a lot that um, this field is a bit watered down. So check this out. Michael, I don't know if you were here like 45 seconds ago when we talked about Ricky and your grandmother. I hope you didn't miss that. Uh, (laughs) But our old sort of co-host, you know, or host actually of this show, Michael Raziel, has has popped in. He's super happy to hear that Joel likes Ricky Fowler this tournament. Uh, Michael, we we miss you and uh, happy to have you jump in here. Uh, Michael, I I plead uh, for you to go back and listen to the first 25 minutes of this show because – it's extremely uh, compelling, uh, not just from Joel's vantage point, but the interviewer was excellent with his question. So I want you to take a look at that. Uh, any words for Michael Raziel, Joel? You know, Michael, we, we miss you on here. Um, I will. I, I, I have to correct you. My son's name is CJ, but PJ was close. It was. It was close. Um, and and you know, we we we've been telling people we we've taken your line to put a dollar on it right you've got a dollar you, got, we, you can put on it i hope michael that you stick with us enough to be putting dollars on our picks because if you have you would also have a lot more money in your wallet currently that's true um michael i'll i'll be sending you the first round well you're probably going to be listening to the show in the next 15 minutes when we talk about our first round leader plays. I have actually, oh my gosh, this is groundbreaking. It's not really. It's the second time we've done it. I have two first round leader locks. Like they're both going to tie for the first round lead. Uh, it kind of plays into a little birthday narrative that I have going. Stay tuned for that. It's it's coming up in, in just a few moments. But um, so I interrupted you. So you were on Ricky Fowler. It sounds like you have three other guys that you like. Yeah. So I like Ricky. Um, I love Sink. So I'm, I'm definitely lying with you there. I think Sink is, I think he should be in the 9K range. He is playing so well this season. And he is very capable of going super low. He can make putts to help. So Sink is one of my favorite plays. And then I'm also with you on Maverick McNeely. Uh, he's a guy who's been, you know, four top 30s in his last four outings. Uh, he's going to compete. He can go low. And I like Patton Kazire, who has a tendency of getting hot with the putter. His last two, he's got a 25 and 11. Um, and I think this is, a, this is a field that should suit him well. All right. Um, that sounds good. So 
Anybody? Okay, so let's. We want to move to the seven K range. Add to the seven K range. So we got a huge range here. I mean, I think it's fair to say that anybody looking at this range is going to love at least seven to ten guys, but not as much as one guy in particular. Uh, Joel is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if we were to rebrand this tournament from 3M, which, for being honest, is a pretty terrible name, 3M. If we were going to rebrand this. Would it not be, and I'm just trotting this out, just, you know, just stream of consciousness, if you will, the Hank, hold, the Hank Lebiota, wait for it, the Hank Lebiota Invitational. I mean, is that is that not the proper name of this tournament? And further, why is he only 7,900? Explain. So, I, first of all, I would like to give you credit because Sia has been on hammering Hank Lebiota for a, a, oh, months now. He's been mentioning Lebiota. It's been a secret. It might have been multiple secret weapons. He's Including been- three weeks ago at the Travelers when he was 1.6% owned and he was our Wind Daily Sports secret weapon, which is 40 and 12, everybody. 40 and 12. It really honestly should be 12 and 40 from a probability standpoint. We have been, as a team, I love him. As a team, we have been on Hammer and Hank Lebiota. So thank you for that. Um, you win $100,000, I get, you know, I get some congratulations for Hank Lebiota. It's basically the same thing. But I, I interrupted you. You were talking about our friend, Hammer and Hank. Yeah, and he has delivered. And, and it's now at a point where he has three top tens in his last three outings. It's not just, oh, he got hot this week. He's just playing. This is how he's, he's probably a little hot, but he's playing really well. Good golf. Like, this is just how he's playing right now. So, um Two things going on. I don't think he's going to go ten in a row, top ten. So there is he's due for eventually to come back to normal. But True. this is a field where he makes a lot of sense. Where it's a little bit watered down. There's not all of the Morikawas and Roms and everything to compete with. Uh, he's in great tip top form as he is right now, uh, and he's super affordable. He's in the seven K range. So the only issue I have with Lebiota right now is the ownership. I think mm-hmm. people have been listening to our show. People know about him now, and now we're not the only ones playing him. I mean, like, like Sia said, he was 1% owned three weeks ago. Now he's going to be, I think, maybe over 20%, which is yeah. which is wild. Which is why I think you want to lean on him for cash games. And I think you can play him in tournaments, but I think it's responsible to pivot off of him in tournaments. Because we do know, I mean, he's mispriced, but we do know 7K chalk can sometimes really burn people. I mean, if we're being honest, he should be probably like, 8,600 or something at this point, the way he's been playing. And, and the one argument I think against him is, is, hey, you know, he's killing it with the putter. Like, that's got to regress. Well, that's true. It's got to regress. But he's also killing it on approach. He's been average off the tee, and he's been excellent on approach and with the putter. So even if the putter gets neutralized to some degree, he's still probably going to make the cut. He's still probably going to score points for you. The guy is just a confident player, which is why he's competing on so many Sundays in a row. So I, I think he's kind of like, I don't want to say a cash game lock, but I think you should be playing a lot of Hank Lebiota in cash. And I think you should be playing some of him. You know, to me, it's a free square. I know I know that's famous last words for the 7K range, but to me, he's making the cut and he is absolutely mispriced. So even if it's 20 to 22 to 25% ownership, I got to be honest, I, I'm willing to go ahead and eat that and just get different elsewhere. I like that. I think that's I think that's totally fair. I think he can win this tournament. There's a wide range. Of, he's one of the guys that I can see winning this tournament or missing the cut. So there's a wide range of outcomes for, for him. And he, like, you know, sure. Uh, and go ahead. I was going to say, I, well, I was going to go down to the rest of the range. Effect, but yeah, yeah, please. You know, mm-hmm. So I'll go down for the rest of this range. I'm just going to kind of highlight some guys. I think here, because such as a big range, 
And because, like I said before, um, I want to try and go Stars and Scrubs, and I'm not going to go to the 6K range. So Stars and Scrubs really lives in this range. I have a lot. So I'm just going to list off some of the guys I like. I think Doug Ginn could do well here. He's got a time for 18th before. The, the only issue with him is, is putts. So he at least made some putts once before on, on this course. I think Chris Kirk could be a good fit at 7,900 as well. I like Brent Snedeker at 7,800. Then I'm going to go down a little bit more. Uh, for those of you who followed, JT Poston got second at the Barbers Hall in the playoff with Seamus Power. Um, you know, he's coming off of a good win at what's looking like pretty low ownership. I'm okay with going back to that well. Um, I think Lanto Griffin is safe from a cash perspective. He doesn't seem to have too much upside. So from a GPP perspective, I probably wouldn't be targeting him too highly. I think Charles Howell III is another good play. He's 23rd and 3rd the last two times playing here. So there's something about this course that he likes. Um, uh, Patrick Rogers could be interesting. He's a guy that's known to get a lot of birdies from scoring-wise. He could be a good fit for DK. He might not need to get you a top 10 to be in a winning lineup. For those of you who don't know who he is, uh, Mito Pierrette has been a cared ferry guy who's been crushing it. He got fifth at the Barbasol last week. Um, he's another guy that should be able to score well. Uh, I'm not, he might blow up one day, so I'm not sure how about finishing position and things like that, but he's another one of those guys that you can put into your lineup and you should be able to get enough birdies to at least uh, you know be able to compete scoring-wise on DK. Um, Jonathan Vegas and Joel Dahman, are, and even Troy Matt, I'll throw all three of them together, are guys that I feel like could have easily been $1,000 more and no one would have batted an eye. Uh, I like Merritt the least out of those, but Dahman competed last week at the Open. He had one kind of blow-up day that maybe make the result not look good as it is. But Vegas has been playing really good golf over the last five weeks. Uh, he's got uh, uh, two top tens and a tie for 11th over his last five tournaments. So, uh, and, and Vegas can go after these pins. So I, I actually think Vegas is probably my favorite value. But again, everyone else is seeing the same thing at, at almost 20% ownership. Yeah, and I think that's the the big downside, if you want to call it that, for Vegas. But again, depending on the tournament you're playing, it's okay to take a couple guys that are really chalky. Like, don't if you're in a single entry, it's it's I'm not suggesting it, but if you like the player, you should play him in a single entry or even a three max, and then you can still get different with one or two guys with your fifth and sixth spot. So don't worry about taking chalk if you really like them. Vegas at over twenty percent ownership. As much as I like him. I don't know that I can accept that. I mean, if it's Leviota at over 20%, that makes me feel a little bit comfortable, even though Vegas's ball striking has been really, really good. His putter is sometimes a question, obviously. So I, I like Vegas. Um, I just don't know how much I like him relative to his ownership. But I think if you didn't want to play Vegas because of the ownership and you, you're a better, then you could always, you know, he might or not, he may or may not be a first round leader play, which we'll find out in about five minutes uh, for me. And he could be an outright or a top 40 or top 20 option. I'd be interested to see what the better golf podcast guys um, who are powered by Wind Daily Sports, of course, have to say about that. That's Spencer Aguiar, of course, at Tee Off Sports and Nick Brettwish at Sticks Picks. They do the better golf pod, which, um, Actually, Spencer might be doing it solo today because I know Nick had an obligation, but it's a great podcast. You guys got to check that out because, again, you can always sort of leverage your your position in DraftKings with sports betting if, if you choose to do both things. I actually did that with Lucas Glover two weeks ago. I got him at 50 to 1, and I won a lot of money on it, and I didn't want to play him in DraftKings because I didn't like – how the metrics look for him in terms of his recent form. But I was like, man, it's Lucas Glover on this course. It just makes a lot of sense. So it was one of the first guys I took in the outright market and it ended up paying off. Did it pay off in DFS? No. Was I still happy? Yes, because I was able to sort of diversify how I wanted to play certain guys. So it worked out. I'll just name a couple other 7K guys, Joel, before we even touch on the 6K range, which we will do extremely briefly. 
um, because I do want to get to the outrights in the first round leaders. I do also like Doug Gim in spite of the potential putting problems. He is actually pretty good on bent grass relative to other greens. So this is actually, if you were going to play him and, and try to like, not worry so much about the putter. This would be the place to play him. Uh, I do like Johnny Vegas. I think Lanto is, I, I think Lanto, what you said is exactly right. I think he's probably a cut maker and has limited upside, which is okay to play because limited upside doesn't mean zero upside. It's not like he can't place in the top 10 in this field. So keep that in mind. Um, I think Mito Pereira is a smart play. He missed his first cut when he came out. A few people were really on him at the Rocket Mortgage. Missed cut. I don't think he was even really close now that I think about it. And then since then, the two tournaments, he's really started to progress into the guy that people thought he was when he was at the Rocket Mortgage. So I like him quite a bit. Um, I think Chez Reedy is an interesting play, a shorter hitter. Shorter hitters can succeed. His ball striking has been really good. I do want to mention Adam Shank. I had an outright on him a couple weeks ago, and it actually almost paid off somehow. It was 150 to 1 then. Uh, I think Shank has been – it's been a little bit of smoke and mirrors with him in terms of the ball striking and the putting. But, you know, when you look at it, it actually isn't that bad. And, and in this field, I think Shank can succeed. So, Joel, anybody else in the 7K range that maybe we forgot to mention? A few more names at the bottom that I'll just throw out there. Uh, I think Seb Straka could be an interesting play with, with upside for a GPP. Same with Cameron Champ, who is one of the longest drivers. If he gets it going, he was tied for 11th at the John Deere. I think Pat Perez could be interesting. He's, he's hit or miss. He's got two missed cuts and then two uh, top 15s in his last four. So uh, Pat Perez at 7,100 could be a good value. And and Bo Hogue, who has three cuts, three made cuts in his last three, tied for 11th at the Barbasol, tied for 12th here last year uh, at 7,100 is another value play. Yeah, and a couple other guys. Um, I've been hearing from somebody who, who, who wants to remain nameless that – um, he's been paying a little bit of attention to Matt Kuchar lately. And apparently Matt Kuchar just kind of off off the, um, you know, in sort of practice rounds and things of that nature has been playing really well. And also is a guy that plays really well, um, you know, coming off of majors in, in tournaments after majors. So I think it's something to consider. I don't think anybody's really going to play Matt Kuchar. And if you think about it, Kuchar, I think if you think about it in this field, if Kuchar is on his game even a little bit, like he could actually be a guy that's in the top 10 and you're like, no, well, why didn't I think of that? Why did I take, you know, Bo Hostler over Matt Kuchar? Like that doesn't make any sense. So I think that might be a guy for me to kind of like maybe dig a little bit more into, but but I am hearing he's in pretty good form. So that's just something to keep in mind. He, he is coming off a miscut at the open. That doesn't really bother me too much. Kyle Stanley's an interesting play and Brandon Todd. That actually takes us kind of to the first round leader and uh, outright place because there's a birthday narrative there. Is there anybody in the 6K range before we get there that you want to talk about, though? There may be three names I w- I'd mention here. Uh, Camilo Viegas is just someone I always find to be a value. I think he, he's got enough upside where he's worth taking a shot on some GPPs. Um, at the top of the 6K range, I think we've seen Roger Sloan pop a few times this year if you want to give a shot on him at 6,900. And the last one is if you believe in the narrative that KH Lee has a success on TPC courses, then this is another TPC. So it could be a good course fit in the 6K range. So those would be the only three I'm looking at. Other than that, I'm, I almost am not even going to be looking into this range. Yeah, and, I, and I'll be releasing a secret weapon play in, in Discord tomorrow. I'll mention a few guys um, that I don't really love, but I think if you have to play in the 6K that, that I think might be decent plays. Um, let's start with Russell Knox. You mentioned Roger Sloan. I, I don't mind that. Russell Knox, 
Tom Hogue. I'm not going to get into the explanations there. Um, Russell Knox just hasn't really been in good form, but I think he's a good golfer. Um, Tom Hogue can pop. He's also from the area. He's probably very familiar with this golf course. That might help him, but he hasn't been very good. Bryce Garnett's made two cuts in a row here, the only two times he's played. And actually, you know, he's missed a couple cuts lately, but also placed fifth in a tournament recently. So I think he's an interesting play at 6,700. I'll mention one other guy. He's 6,100. I mean, this is like a total Hail Mary. It's you're, you're playing DJ, you're playing, you know, somebody else at the like, you know, Tony Fee now, and you need somebody that's 6,100. Michael Gellerman is actually a pretty good ball striker. Like he's way better. Like I think he's 37th last 24 rounds on approach. And I think he is right around like 75th off the tee. So you marry that, the ball striking is actually really good relative to this field. The problem is in putting, I think he's like 145 or 147, like last 24 rounds. I mean, that's career. He's a bad putter. So uh, that's one of those things you'll have to get lucky with the putter to some degree, but he's a professional golfer. Like that can happen. The ball striking is definitely there. Am I recommending him? No, not really. But if you have to, if you just want to make a fun lineup you, and you have to include a 6,100 guy, Michael Gellerman is the guy to do that with. Yeah, it's funny. He was one of the guys that was one of my big value plays in the last showdown, like round four. And I was like, I've probably never played him before that. But yeah, I'm, you're right. He was he was striking the ball really well last tournament. I remember I had him pretty high in showdown. So I'm with you on that. I think at 6,100. Yeah, one more person I want to ask you about before we, we mm-hmm. leave this field. Um, just kind of crossed my eye now, and, and I kind of want to get your take on Benny Ann who did just finish a tie for 26 at the open in a really competitive field. And now mm-hmm. this kind of watered down field at 6,800, are you going to have any shares of him? Probably not. Um, maybe because there's a lot of water on the course. I'm not really sure. I don't really have a good reason to, to not play him other than that. The fact that I never play him. Are so you it's scarred just, from early in the year when he put like eight balls in the water? And well, fortunately, fortunately I wasn't playing him then either, but God, that guy's <laughs> hilarious on Twitter. Is he not? Um, he was so self-deprecating after that. He's, he's, he's a really funny follow, but I don't think that's bad. 26 at the open speaks to me. I, I totally get it. And in this field, you know, he could suddenly, he could be top 15 and you wouldn't be shocked about it. Um, he doesn't have much upside, but at 6,800, he doesn't need to have much up, upside. So I, I don't hate it, but am I going to be playing him? No, I, I don't think so. Um, another guy from, from that neck of the woods is KH Lee. And Jesse wants to point out that on TPC courses, he's great. And, and Joel, you mentioned that, but this is kind of like the, the proof here that he's just making cuts on TPC courses and, and it includes a win on a $6,600 week for him. The, the problem with him that I have is, is just generally like, he's just not a good finisher. Like you'll see him show up on day one and then he like literally kind of just goes away. But I mean, if he's won before, he's won before. It's something to think about, especially on TPC courses. You said something about showing up on day one. Ah, yes, I did. I did. So, so we have our first round. Thank what a professional. <laughs> See, that's what a host is supposed to do right there, Joel. That's, that's very good. So I'll tell you what, let me, you want to give the, do you have any first round leader plays? Yeah, let's go. Do we want to start with first round leader? We're going to go outrights first. Cause usually the first round leader is kind of where we like to close the show. Yeah. Let's go outrights first. Let's I'll start out. the outrights. I'll start the okay. outrights. Cause I only have like a few. Um, you know, like I, I'm really big on betting the tournament in the middle of it, whether it's matchups or outrights. So I, I don't want to give too many outrights here, but I have four. Luke List and Hank Lebiota, of course, at 50 to 1. Now, at my book, I only got him at 40 to 1. That's how it opened, by the way. Uh, at, on DraftKings, you can get him at 50 to 1. I actually think that's kind of a steal, at, at least from a number standpoint. Stuart Sink is 65 to 1. Love it. 
And Johnny Vegas, like I said, I don't know how much I'm going to be playing him in DFS, even though I think he's a good play. But 60 to 1 in the outright market, Johnny Vegas can win at this tournament. This could be a breakthrough for Johnny Vegas, 100%. So Luke List, Hank Lebiota, Stuart Sink, Johnny Vegas, those are my four outrights. Joel, what do you got? All right. So I only got a couple. Um, my fun one of the week, my long shot is going to be Pat Perez at 100 to 1. Um, and then uh, my favorite value is going to be Stuart Sink at 65 to 1. I don't think he should be that low. I really think he should be closer to 30 or 40. So at 65, I think it's a really good number. Um, and then in terms of guys I actually think who can win the tournament, um, I, like I said, I think Dustin's, Dustin's going to be the winner at 7 to 1. It's not worth betting. It's just not a good a good value. So if you want to go up top at someone who can you know actually win this thing with value, maybe Sergio at 35 to 1. But at this point, I'm looking at this tournament. If you're not going to take one of the long hits, my recommendation would be wait to the weekend and then try and bet some, some live bets there. Yep. Well, it looks like we're both on sync. So that's good news at 65 to one. I think that's, I think that's a weird number. I mean, sync has shown the ability to close uh, and he's been striking the ball really well. I mean, the true number, like the, the number probably should be 50 to one. So you're definitely getting some, I mean, the, it's just the you, numbers. Feels you wrong. know what to me? And, and if I was handicapping this tournament, I think sync could be top 10 and I think he could be 30 to one and that wouldn't have batted an eye if they put him there. So mm-hmm. I don't think he's a miss and miss number at 65 to one. No. That doesn't mean he's going to win the tournament. That just means I think it's a good number and he could win the tournament. Yeah. And remember, you're betting the number. You're not betting the player necessarily. So, um, okay. So, Joel, do you want to give me your first round leaders? All right. Let's get into the first round leader. So, again, same concept applies for first round leader, right? We don't want to be chasing the favorites in the first round. Um, uh, we want to be going after the long shot. So, for me, um, I'm going to start with Ryan Armour at 90 to 1. Um I think you know we're getting a really good number here. Uh, he tends to, to start strong and maybe fall off, so I think he's a good first round leader play. I think another interesting one we could try is Sam Ryder, also ninety to one. He's not someone I like to play full tournament. He's bound to blow up one day, but he certainly can get hot. So he's definitely a guy I, I would play showdown or a first round leader bet on. Um, my computer's frozen, so I can't get the rest of my odds up. So see, you're up. So can I just tell you something about Sam Ryder? I'm pretty sure it, it wasn't ball striking. It was just on approach last week at the Barbersaw. He gained over 11 strokes on approach at the Barbersaw. Yeah. It's insane. When when I was doing the first cut with Rick and uh, and Greg Ducharme, we talked about that and we actually looked at his like Rick's database, which goes back however many years it goes back. I, I'm not really sure. And it was literally the fifth highest strokes gain total on approach in his entire database for any tournament. Um, but, here, you know, the watch out there is he's garbage all the tournaments before that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously, like, I'm not saying all the tournaments, but like the four or five tournaments before that, he's like losing on approach everywhere off the tee, you name it. So it's just one of those things. It's like, do you have lightning in a bottle or not? But let me tell you, from a first round leader play, it makes the most sense to take him first round leader because he's coming off a total heater. He's probably ex- like extremely confident. And yeah, I'm going to have to add him to my, my first round leader list because I don't want to take him out. Right. He's not going to last four days and beat the likes of Dustin Johnson and those guys. But yeah, I, uh, I love that play riders. Uh, you got to look at that stat. It's, it's just insane. Okay. First round leaders. I have quite a few. Well, I only have six actually. Normally I have five. I'm going to give you six because I had to add somebody in because of a birthday narrative. Now, for those of you that aren't on Twitter, what, what are you doing? Get on Twitter you need to, I did actually a narrative gained um, 
birthday. NGBD, Narrative Game He's, Birthday for the Open. And it, it was it was bulletproof, of course. I don't think you need to explain it. I think it goes without saying. So everyone knows. Oh, it, it totally goes without saying. If you don't know what that is, then what you can do is just go to my Twitter and just kind of scroll down a little bit. It's all laid out there. It's a really long thread. And I put a lot of time into it. And some of it bore out. Adam Scott birthday. His birthday was last week. It was on Friday. You know what he shot on Friday, Joel? On his birthday? This is Adam Scott. Not a guy that's in great form, by the way. You okay? know what? I hate Adam Scott. I never play Adam Scott. Me too. I think he's terrible. I think he's always overpriced. And I just noticed that like on his birthday, I'm like, how? How does he show up? And all of a sudden, his one good score of like, the whole season is on his birthday. On Friday, <laughs> he shot a bogey-free four-under at the Open Championship. Strokes gained, or excuse me, narrative gained birthday is a real thing. Look it up. And by look it up, I mean go to my profile and look at the uh, the narrative I laid out for you. But okay, let's start with Mav McNeely. Listen, this guy can get hot at any moment, just like a Patton Kazire can get hot at any moment. I kind of lumped those two in. Matt McNeil is a little bit more reliable, I think, from a ball striking standpoint. I think both of those are good for a first round leader. Just so happens I chose Matt McNeil at 50 to 1. Hank Lebiota at 55 to 1. I think he's a good outright play at 50 to 1. I think he's a good first round leader play at 55 to 1. Stuart Sink is 60 to 1 as first round leader. This guy flirts with first round leaders all the time. I actually lost a bundle of money one time when Cam Smith caught him. It was about three months ago, almost to the day. And Sink shot a nine under and somehow Cam Smith, because he chipped out from on the 17th and, you know, got a birdie there and then birdied the 18th and eclipsed uh, Stuart Sink. So I lost a good amount of money there. I like him as a first round leader in any tournament, especially this one. Johnny Vegas at 60 to one. That's just a smart play. He, he usually pops round ones and his ball striking is insane right now. So that's four. The next two guys have birthdays during this tournament. One is on a Friday and one is on a Thursday during the first round. I like the Friday one better at 110 to one. Now the Thursday guy is 60 to one, which is speaking to me a little bit because I think this guy should be like 80 to one as a first round leader, but he's 60 to one, which tells me that the books clearly know it's this gentleman's birthday and they are very they're scared straight to lower the odds because of NGBD. And the NGBD tells me that Brandon Todd at 60 to one on his birthday is going to be your first round leader, but wait, there's more because he's going to be tied with a gentleman whose birthday is Friday at 110 to one, Kevin Tway, who by the way, happens to be in pretty good form. So your first round leader, at the 3M Open, otherwise known as the Hank Lebiota Invitational, is none other than two gentlemen who will be tied at the top, Brandon Todd at 60 to 1 and Kevin Tway at 110 to 1. Joel, what do you think? America, you're welcome. Well, I've already put the million dollars that I didn't win on Kevin Tway to be the first leader. So now I'm million. Smart. Smart. I, that, you know, to, to be honest with you, if, if we're being totally honest here, I think from a bankroll management standpoint, you should take at least 50,000 of the 100,000 you won last week and and you know diversify your portfolio a little bit. I'm not saying put it all on one of those guys. I'm saying put it all on both of those guys. So now you're getting two bites at the apple, essentially, one with Kevin Tway and, of course, one with Brandon Todd. So you got the NGBD narrative. You've diversified a little bit, 25K on each. I mean, the return on that, 
I don't even like, I don't want to do the math. I'm going to embarrass myself, but it's a lot of money. And it, for the record, it eclipses a million dollars. So I money manager, a whole hundred K on it though. The, the only reason you shouldn't put the whole hundred K on it is because technically I gave out four other first round leaders and in the spirit of, of, you know, actually picking these guys, I don't think it's right to actually put all the money on the two that are the breaking news locks for the 3M Open. I think you should probably just, you're going to lose that money because it's definitely going to be Brandon Todd and Kevin Tway. But just for the spirit of kind of, you know, what we do at the end of the show, I think all of them deserve some pocket change, if you will. That's, I think that's fair. Yeah. So no, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put it all on Kevin Tway. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I, that's funny. This is a funny comment by, by Chris, who I think is a first time uh, watcher listener. I think he might've said that earlier and I forgot to get to the comment. I always say Brandon Todd's name wrong. And it's like such a subtle thing. It's Brendan Todd. But I always say Brandon. I, maybe it's like a 90210 thing. I have like Brandon Walsh stuck in my head. It is Brandon Walsh, isn't it? It's not Brendan. I, why do people do the Brendan thing? Like, mom and dad, it's so much easier to say Brandon. Can we just can we just put the A in there instead of the E? But Chris, uh, the, 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 he's probably like one of those grammar police guys, which actually I kind of enjoy people like that. So, Chris, yeah, thanks for You're 100% the grammar police guy. For sure. You guys are on the same team here. Oh, we're so on the same team. Uh, but Chris is the captain. I'm just a guy on the team, like just trying to be trying to be Chris. So we are both sort of like the Niles Crane of, uh, of DFS, always correcting people. Frazier reference, Yamazaki, who won 10 $10,000 today in LOL really gets that reference because she's a big Frazier fan like myself. Joel, what else do we have? We just gave everybody a ton of money thanks to the Brandon Todd and Kevin Tway plays. Is, is there anything we have left to give? That's it. I think we're going to have another another profitable week. Uh, my biggest uh, pl- my biggest advice for this week and, and something I'm trying to focus on more and more is cut makers. Stop trying mm-hmm. to hit home runs too much. If you get six out of six, you'll have a chance. Not a lot of people get six out of six. So one way to think about it is five to ten percent of the field is going to make six out of six, and those are the only guys that have a chance of winning the whole tournament. So you've now taken taken whatever field you're in and made ten percent of it, and that's all the guys you have to beat. And that's especially true for this tournament because it's not going to be a hard track. There's going to be birdies everywhere on Saturday and Sunday as well. Sometimes you can get away with five out of six, sometimes even four out of six, depending on the tournament or cash game, because Saturday and Sunday, depending on the course, is so difficult that you're just you just you're not going to have all six out of six scoring anyway. So those people who have six out of six, they might have one or two guys that were like plus three on the day and they barely got any points from them. So this isn't that tournament. Which is why this tournament you got to play play it even safer if if you can even do that in DFS. But you you should be looking at cut makers and therefore you shouldn't really be dipping in the six K range unless you're just trying to get fun and cute. You shouldn't be dipping in the low seven K range really either. So try to I know you know it's a little counterintuitive if you want to play guys at the top, but believe me, you can play guys at the top and then still say stay, or you can play a guy at the top and still stay somewhat balanced, especially if you do what Joel did, which is he's kind of skipping that 9K range. So if you grab a guy at the top and then you just go right to the 8K, 7K range, uh, mid-7K range, you can make a pretty balanced team. So that's, Joel, correct me if I'm wrong, that's probably what you would recommend for this tournament, right? Totally. I think uh, I think the top four are the best, so we want to get one or two of those guys in and then balance it out in the mid-7K, 8K range. You can do that. Uh, I think that's going to be, I think that's my formula for this weekend. And my formula is to win a million dollars. But if I don't, it is to win $100,000 like Joel did and has done two other times recently. 
And uh, Joel, thanks for going through all of that stuff on the front end. I, I don't know if that was painful or if it was kind of like cathartic in some way that you were able to like kind of like speak to the people about like how that feels. I think it would be cathartic. But then there was a certain point of that quote interview where I thought, oh, man, like at, I'm kind of like rubbing it in at this point with these follow up questions. You know, I was a little I was like dreading it a little bit leading. And I was like, oh, I got to relive this again. I was like, I thought I was just getting past it. But I think it was. I think it was good to kind of talk it out. And now I feel, all right, it's out. Everyone's heard the story and it's behind me. On to the next. So for those of you listening, Chris, you're a new listener. I, I genuinely appreciate you listening. I see Miami Mike is here. He's a relatively new listener. I think I might have flashed this on the screen. I did. Hammer and Hank for the win. I absolutely love that. Um, so two things. Uh, please hit the like button on YouTube. And please, if you haven't already subscribed to the Win Daily Podcast, please do. We, we have a lot of content coming with NFL. Prince of Mukamura has sort of joined the team. He has some podcasts out there. Nabate Isles has some. We've got some like really you know, big time athletes that are now kind of in our hemisphere, not only being interviewed, but actually doing the interview. So my request is make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page, of course. But my, my other request is, you know, I know the ones that are listening. Um, here we go. North Forker. Thank you. I know the guys that are listening uh, really enjoy the show and, and the analysis behind the show and the stats we, we like to bring to the show. And again, this was sort of an abridged ber- version, but long story short, like tell your friends like to, to at least tune in to like, our, you know, our, our PGA live stream. And then maybe they'll want to subscribe to uh, our YouTube channel or subscribe to our podcast, which is like basically the same thing as the YouTube channel, just in audio form. So please like tell people about us because um we like the attention, but we also think we're like giving a good product. I mean, this is all free, of course. We think this is really good knowledge for people to have, and we think it should be part of their rotation prepping for PGA. And when NFL comes around, same goes for that. MLB, we do it all for everything. So uh, if you know people that are interested, send them our way. And if they don't like it, cool, they can go on their way. But I, but I think we put together a pretty good product, not just for PGA, but for all the sports that we do. What's not to like? Winning money? Check. Having fun? Check. Come on down and join us. Pouring our heart out when we kind of lose $900,000. <laughs> Check. So that's all I'm saying. Um, thank you, uh, North Forker. Uh, thank you for saying that great product. Um, PGA. And he says, of course, one of the best in my opinion. Uh, I certainly respect your opinion, sir. Uh, so, Joel, I think that's it. Everybody, good luck at the 3M Open. I hope we have more stories to tell uh, that, that involve winning six figures next week. And I hope maybe it's not Joel or me. Maybe it's one of you guys so or one of you girls. Uh, so um, thanks for joining us. And uh, Joel, we just have one thing. One thing I think I forgot to cover. What is it again? I always forget. 